You're listening to the Lompoc Foursquare Church Podcast. Uh, I want to talk to you today about the God I wish you knew. We've been talking about a God who loves us and accepts us just as we are, a God of mercy, a God who's our refuge and strength, a very present time in trouble, the God we saw last week who's a holy God. Well, I wish the world knew that God is holy and perfect and pure and sovereign. Um, This week is a response to some emails and texts that I received from people that said, "Uh, Pastor Bernie, as you're talking about the God I wish you knew, would you talk about suffering? And I thought, oh yeah, sure, that'll attract a lot of people. They'll really want to come to church. But um, I I wrote this statement that, that the God I wish you knew is greater than our suffering. Um, John is an old man, you know, the John that hung out with Jesus, the beloved. And in 3 John 2, it's not in your notes, but um, he says, I pray that it will go well with you. And isn't that a good prayer that it would go well with you? But you and I uh, also know that, that Jesus was a realist. He said that it wouldn't always go well. Uh, sometimes we would have troubles and, and problems. And this lady wrote to me and she said, um, Pastor Bernie, I want to tell you just a little bit about my story. She said, I was um, abused and molested as a child. And um, I made some bad choices in men in, in high school. And then I met this guy who promised me the world and the moon and the stars. And I believed him. And so um, I got pregnant and then we got married. And then the baby was born and he left. Um, he's been gone for eight years. Am I still married to him? Because I don't know where he is, and I can't find him. So am I still legally married? I mean, these are, by the way, these are questions that people ask sometimes. And, and she said, I, I hope somehow you would talk about suffering, because I feel between my childhood and my adulthood, I have had my fair share of suffering. And so I, I wrote to her several things that are going to appear in the message today. And the first is a phrase that we use a lot around here, that it's not all about this and it's not all about now. And I just changed it to say that life is not all about this and life is not all about now. Because when things happen to us, when there's suffering, when there's tragedy, the the loss of a loved one or a prognosis that is is detrimental and uh, somehow overtakes us, We can get so caught up in the tragedy or in the story of what's happening that we forget about this enormous God that we have, that we're able to serve. And I'm not just preaching at you. It happens for me sometimes when I get overwhelmed with the stories of people or my own story or my story of my own family. I can get overwhelmed to the point that that becomes my story. And I know people who are really good at talking about all the bad stuff that's happened in their lives. And this woman was sharing with me all the bad stuff that happened in her life, and I was trying to help her understand. And so I went to Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 3 to 11, where he says, um, here's my story. I want to praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy. He's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance kept for you in heaven, who through faith 
and it's shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you may greatly rejoice. Now, let, let me stop there. Because before he talks about the fact we're going to face trials, he stops to make the praise of God his story. He says, I want you to know we have to stop and praise our God. We have to stop and make sure that, that he is worshipped and that the story of our pain and suffering doesn't somehow become the headline of our life. That our past trauma doesn't become our present day drama. That our past pain does not define us, but that we're defined by God. And if you are a believer, I know most of you are, there's some of you who are seeking God, some who are watching online wondering if any of this is legitimate, and we, we welcome that. But, but here's what he says, I, I greatly rejoice, and then I love the fact that Peter, who also suffered, is able to say, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of what? <coughs> Trials. And these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in, result, see, so if we're going through suffering, we go back to the anchor of the story. I praise my God. Oop, I'm suffering. But the result of my suffering will be more praise to God. I know it sounds awkward or even odd. How could suffering result in praise but that's what Peter is telling us to do. And that it would result in this praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you may not have seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with this inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And he goes on to talk about the fact that we are going to go through the tough stuff of life but somehow it's going to reveal our faith. Now, God doesn't let us go through tough stuff because he doesn't know what our faith is like. See, he knows whether we get an A or a D on our faith report card, right? Come on. He knows whether our faith can be tossed to and fro with every you know, wind of doctrine or every difficult season. But we don't always know what our faith is like until it's tested or tried. And so when we go through the tough stuff of life, when our life slams against reality, that's when we really recognize how, 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 how deep is my faith. Your suffering doesn't weaken your faith. It should actually strengthen your faith. So if you've got your pens, you can start writing these down in your, in your notes. Your suffering reveals Jesus Christ in ways you've not ever seen before, in ways you've never seen before. So in this gal's email to me, she says, you know, you, you talked about God being our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's, it's hard for me to connect with him when I'm going through hardships. It's hard for me to really understand that he, that he, that he cares about me. And then she wrote these words. Have you ever heard these before? I, I blame God for what happened to me. I blame God. Rarely does humanity get blamed. Often God gets blamed. Somebody walks into a school in Florida. Somebody walks into a, a veteran's home in Northern California and shoots the place up. And while we have dialogue about gun control, which we'll probably have for decades to come, and while we have 
dialogue about mental illness, there are people who will say, where was God in the middle of the tragedy? How come this God didn't stop? How come God didn't cause the gun to jam? How come God didn't cause the car to veer away from the tree? How come God didn't cause the car to veer away from my loved one's car when it hit the car head on? Listen, I've had all those questions asked of me, and some of you in this room have had them asked of you. How come mudslides happen in Montecito that takes lives? How come tsunamis happen that wipe out entire villages? How come earthquakes happen where thousands and thousands of people perish? Where is God in the midst of all of this? Well, we're going to answer that question, so stay tuned. But number one, a majority of suffering is a natural result of the human condition. I will say it again. Humanity rarely gets blamed. Humanity rarely gets blamed. True story, a gentleman decides he's going to work on his roof. He has no business being up there. But he tells his wife, don't worry, honey, I got everything under control. And she's shaking her head. He's got a house that's got a really steep pitch roof. And so he gets up on this ladder that's been sitting in the back for a long time. It's a wooden ladder, by the way. It's been sitting outside, and as he gets on the ladder, it, it starts to, to move and He's precariously perched it on some old rotten wood. Are you, are you getting the story here? You know? He ties a rope around his waist and lassoes the chimney that was built in 1902. The mortar has never been <laughs> reinserted or rebuilt. It's just this old rickety fireplace. And uh, while he's carrying the shingles up this ladder that's bouncing against this wood that's rotten, you know what happens. He slips. And with him comes half the chimney <laughs> upon him. The ladder is now on his chest. True story. And um, his wife's in the front yard calling 911. And the fire department comes and in their professional manner give aid to the man. Um, I happen to be on a ride-along, so we actually went over there. Um, we felt sorry for him. Everyone felt sorry for him. But internally, I had to repent because it was a foolish-looking thing to me. Now, he broke some ribs and got a concussion, you know, and head lacerations, and he was fine. I'm here to report he was fine. But I have one word for him, and please do not text me or email me that I shouldn't have said this word. His actions were stupid, now, I thank God for his wife because she was saying to him, I told you you're stupid. So I'm only quoting his wife. <laughs> but imagine, imagine if she would have come out and said, I blame God. I blame, why did God, why, why would you let this happen? Huh? Well, our wonderful, you know, first responders are rendering aid. Why'd you let this happen, God? Where, where, where were you in the midst of it? I'll tell you what God was doing. God was going, uh, uh, this is stupid. <laughs> you know, but the Bible teaches us that all humans suffer from a disease that's called sin. And here's what I've learned about sin. Are you ready for this? Sin makes us stupid. We want pleasure, so we do things against good judgment, better judgment, even God's will. Sin separates us from God, the God who knows best for us. 
Sin violates the purpose and intention of God. Sin brought humanity, death, disease, and sickness. And remember this, please. When God created an Adam and Eve, he created them to live in the peace of God, a relationship without distance. Remember it says in the Bible, God used to walk with them in the cool of the day of the garden. Just imagine walking with God, looking at the creation he made, enjoying life. And what some theologians sometimes fail to say is when God made Adam and Eve, this, is, this baffles my brain, he made them in his image and he put them in human form, but he made them eternal. Ever think of that? Because there was no death before sin entered the garden. They were intended to live forever in a garden of paradise with, with, with no aphids <laughs> and no locusts and, I mean, you know, no, no, nothing. There were no colds. There was no flu season. There was no need for medication. Come on. This is, the, this is what God made. There was no cancer. There was no diabetes. It didn't exist. And then we came along, and through the power of, excuse the word again, please, quoting the lady on the front lawn of her house, through the stupidity of humanity, we said, we want to be in control. And God somehow, in his sovereignty, made us with the free will to choose what we're going to do. You're going to go right, you're going to go left. You're going to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you're just going to have fun in the garden with no sickness and disease. I mean, just think of the lush beauty of the garden God created. It was some time ago that, um, and sorry for all these <laughs> public safety stories, but it's part of what I do sometimes. And, and uh, I was riding with Lompoc's Finest, and there was a car in front of us that rolled through a stop sign and then started swerving in the road. And so a little whoop, whoop, and the light comes on. By the way, can I confess, I like when I'm in a car and they do that. I, I like that. I just, you know, I'm sorry. Not that, not that somebody's going to get in trouble, but it just feels, you know, you, you feel the authority. And you, know, you know what you feel? Read it in Romans 13. You feel the righteousness of God. Because all our, no, all our public defenders are honoring the God, the law of, of God. They, they all didn't know that, but they are defenders of righteousness. That's why we should pray extra for them. And so uh, we pull this gentleman over, and um, he gets out of the car, and, and I'm standing at the side of the roadway on the, on the curb, safe, not, not getting involved in police work. Um, but after they did um, field sobriety test, you know, the lifting of the leg, and then they made him breathe in that little device. And if you know what the device is called, you shouldn't, but it's a PAS device. Anyway, and, and so um, from a distance, and I have to confess, can I confess in church? I always look for the reading of the number because they'll do it and then they'll, they'll look at it. I, I want to I see, because sometimes I can't believe anybody could even operate a motor vehicle with those high of numbers, but anyway, and, and so... Um, they, they, they were just so nice to him, and, and he was sitting on the, the front push bar of the, of the police car, and, and um, I, I was standing there, and he starts talking to me. Well, I, I don't want to, like, impede anything, but they're back doing information and stuff like that, and the officer kind of gave me the nod, like, yeah, you want to talk to him? I said, uh, 
stupid question. How are you tonight? I mean, you know. And here's what he said. Here's what he said. I'm going to quote him. I'm like three blocks from my house. And I thought I could have made it. And then he said, are you, are you ready? I guess that was stupid of me. And you would all say, absolutely. In, in this, this, this day and age where, you know, we would, right? If you were stuck somewhere, you could call 736-3636. The taxi of Lompoc would come. You could get Uber or Lyft. You could have a designated driver. You could have a plan before you go out. And, I, and by the way, I'm not going to now give you all the evils of, of alcohol, though that's another sermon. And in a few short weeks, we have every 15 minutes again that I've been a part of for 15 years. Um, Lompoc High School is doing it in, in a few short weeks. And it's a mock DUI thing, and, and it's very impacting. But the guy said, I, I wish I wasn't so stupid. And my mind started calculating how expensive this was going to be for him. Come on. Not that any of you would understand. Um, but it was, it was going to be expensive for him. And then I started to think, as we went to jail and, and all that stuff happened, I started to think, what if he would have kept driving and our officers were, were busy and didn't see him? What if he hit somebody head on? And, and what if they died? I wonder if the question would have been, God, why did you do that? Now, I would be able, if I was there, to, to retract to them, here's the process. The guy had too much to drink. He got in the car. And by the way, you're not going to like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Okay, if you drink, you shouldn't drive at all. That's, that's my belief. Uh, my brother was killed by a drunk driver, so all the more I would say that. But uh, how often does God get blamed for stuff? Actually, when sin happened and they chose to drive home, uh, when sin happened and they chose their own way, it didn't really result in a moment of inner guilt or shame. It was not just a, a, an oops, let's do this over. It caused the collapse in a catastrophic way of peace and shalom forever. Uh, some theologians believe that when Adam and Eve sinned, it changed the genetic makeup of the human being. That now we're prone to diseases that weren't before and Sin now causes us to not only have disease in our body, but to, to have emotional collapse. We get angry easy. We get impatient. We're selfish. We're hurtful. We covet. We lust. We tear down. We are happy to gossip about others. We, we hate people. Sometimes we hate people we don't even know. We've never even met them. We get prejudiced. We have starvation in our world. Six million children last year died of starvation. And God gets a bad name because of the consequences, number two, of sin. Suffering is a consequence of sin. And God's warning was clear. There will be pain that comes from your choices, but Adam and Eve could not resist. And I would say this, excuse me for saying the word again, I've been stupid too at times. Made some really bad decisions, made some bad choices, had some thoughts I shouldn't have had. And Genesis 3.17 to Adam, God said, um, <clears throat> because you listened to your wife, I'm not touching that, and, and ate <laughs> fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Notice that word. Cursed is the ground of you. And through painful toil, you will eat food 
and from it all the days of your life. It's going to be hard work and get ready for pain and suffering because of a decision that you made. Romans 6, 23 says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin has a consequence. And just because we come to know Christ doesn't mean that we're not going to have problems and toil or consequences because of sin. What it means is that our sins will be forgiven, and we, like John 3.16 says, will not perish but have everlasting life. But I love what C.S. Lewis says. He'll help me with my sermon here. What exactly happened when humanity fell? We do not know. <laughs> we know some, but we don't know everything. Now, in this, lady, uh, this lady's email, I responded with the thoughts of Jesus from Luke 13. Uh, In Luke 13, Jesus has heard about two deadly events. A group of Galileans had been killed by one of the Roman governors, and a tower, much like the chimney, a tower had fallen, killing a number of innocent people. They did no wrong, but they died nonetheless. And Jesus said about those things in in Luke 13, verse 2 and 3, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? You see, we, we always ask this question, I wonder why that child was born that way. I, mean, I wonder what his parents did. Or I wonder what, wonder what they were taking, smoking, drinking when they got pregnant. I wonder, we always ask the, the, the wonder question, why did that happen to them? And Jesus answered in verse 3 and 4, and I wrote in the email to this dear gal, God did not, here's what I said, God did not wake up one morning and say, which child on the earth can I have abused today? Which young girl could be molested today? Which young lady can meet a guy who's going to get her pregnant, marry her, and leave? Eight years later, she doesn't know where he is. That's not the God I want to serve. And Jesus said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. Now, it's interesting to note here that he doesn't really answer the question except to say no, they were not singled out, and unless you repent, you will perish too. He uses the word perish that has to do with eternity. He doesn't even address that if you repent, you're not going to have any problems. See, there's a lot of Christians who believe that. If I give my life to Jesus, then I'll, I'll be insulated and isolated from all problems for the, for the rest of my life. That's not true. That's horrible doctrine. Or these 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? And he said then in verse 5, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. He's always concerned with our eternity more than with the now. He's always concerned so much for, that's why he came. Now, I know a lot of people um, like this verse in Isaiah. We, we, we kind of reserve it for Christmas, but in Isaiah 9, 6, we have this phrase, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he will be called wonderful, mighty God, everlasting Father. And isn't it interesting, Prince of a peace. In other words, I will try to bring to you through my son Jesus the peace that was taken from you when Adam and Eve fell. I will try to restore you and he will be called the prince of peace. And then Jesus 
in John 16, 33 says, I've told you these things so that you may have peace. Where's that peace? In me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, take, take heart. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. In other words, when you're going through troubles, Jesus says that you will have them. But when you're going through troubles, don't let your troubles trouble you. Well, that's easy for you to say, Jesus. I mean, how would you know? He, he lived here. The writer of Hebrews says he was, he was tempted like we are. He was tested. Um, we, we know from the cross, I mean, this cruel death that we will somehow contemplate and reflect upon on Good Friday in our own service. And many of you have your own Good Friday traditions. But we'll think about the death of Jesus Christ and then we'll, of course, rejoice on Easter but Jesus says, look, I, I, I don't want to candy coat this. I just want to tell you the facts. Um, there's peace in me, nowhere else. You're going to have trouble in this world. But I'm going to make it possible for you to step away from the story of your trouble and to step into my peace. Now, I'm just going to say, say it again. Just however you want to deal with this. If your story is all about your pain and all about your crisis and all about your problem, it's hard for you then to step into, I have peace with Christ. Um, I hear people talk about stories all the time and the loss of a loved one, and I, and I get that. It, it, it's tough. I've, I've lost some people very dear and, and, and dear to me, and and I hear people talk about, you know, their, their kids and, and stuff. And many of you know, I've, I have a special needs daughter, and, and she's 39. You know, and people, you know, Pastor B, like, why don't you talk more about the problem of having a special needs daughter? Because if you talk about the problem all the time, you can't rejoice in the joy they bring you. You know, I mean, I, 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 I go visit my mom in the convalescent center. I mean, she's, I don't know why she's there, 93. We prayed for her so many times to go see Jesus. And to go see her son and, and her, her daughter that have passed along, my, my brother and sister. I mean, I know that they're there. And, and her dad was her hero in her life next to Christ. And, and you know, I remember one, one day just sitting there with her and she barely, you know, blinks her eyes and she doesn't talk anymore. And, and I said, uh, Lord, this really, this sucks, you know. And, and the Lord just whispered and said, um, why don't you remember the good things about her? And I thought, wow. Yeah, but Lord, look at, look at, oh, she's fine. She's fine. I go, really, Lord? She's fine? But I want her like that. And Lord, just, why don't you remember the good things? So I just started just telling her. I don't know what, how much she can hear or not. I mean, there's all kinds of people that'll tell you, yeah, people with the advanced Alzheimer's, they, they know what you're saying. How do they know that they, how do they know? But here's what I knew in the moment. God came with his peace and filled the room. And, and just in that moment, I'm going, Mom, I don't know if you can hear me or not, but boy, I sure remember, gosh, your homemade pasta. I shouldn't talk about food because now you, yeah, it's already past lunchtime, you know. Mom, you used to roll out your own dough and make pizza and you used to grind your own meat and make sausage, homemade sausage, and the sauce would simmer for 11 hours, Mom. You know, isn't that funny? I remember the food parts of my mom. <laughs> mom, I remember 
every Friday bringing all my music friends over to the garage. I mean, if you played the tuba or the electric guitar, we would have sometimes 15 to 20-piece orchestra in my garage. We got to play until my dad got home. And, uh, and my mom, every Friday, made homemade pasta, spaghetti, and meatballs for all my friends. And we played music. It was the worst music you could have met, but not, not to my mom. Oh, it's great. And all the laborers would come and complain. They wanted to call the police for noise disorder, you know. And, and she would gather all the moms together. It's okay. Let them play. Let them play. <laughs> and all these moms in the street. I lived on a dentist street with their aprons, you know. And they were like with their rolling pins. They wanted to come give us a piece of their mind. And my mom would buffer that. And I'm just telling my mom, do you remember mom? I used to do like drum solos in the garage and the neighbors would complain, but you said, let him play, let him play. <laughs> See, my mom's thought was if she got all the kids together in the garage where she could supervise them, we'd get in less trouble. She was right. She was right. She used to say things like, well, if you want them vandalizing your house, breaking your windows, that's okay. No, no, let them play, let them play, you know. <laughs> Why do I share that with you? Because there's another story to the story. And we can get so caught up in our, in our tragedy and in the difficulties of life and the questions that we have that we forget that God created a world where we were to thrive and peace was to be the order of the day. It's not God's fault. One of the nurses said, you blame God for your mom's condition. No, I don't. I blame Adam and Eve. <laughs> She's a part of the fallen human race. And we said, well, I bet you she didn't take care of herself impeccable, walked seven miles a day, ate only healthy stuff, made her own sausage so it wasn't processed. Come on. Uh, no nitrates, nitrites, you know. She was healthy. And for some reason, I could stop all day and try to, why, God, why did you give my mom Alzheimer's? Why? Why? Oh, she's got a, oh, and I could never I could never tell the story of joy. You would never have gotten to hear about the band story, right? Because I just say, oh, it's so bad to see my mom in the condition she's in. When I go and I kiss her on the forehead and I speak Italian to her and she blinks her eyes, I mean, I, it's cool with me. She's 93 for crying out loud. I keep saying, Lord, anytime you want to take her, you know, there'll only be tears of joy because we know where she's going. See, the God I wish you knew commands us to be moved by the suffering of people. It's easy in a world that has so much suffering and tragedy to kind of disconnect yourself because, man, you know, your system can only take so much. But uh, 2 Corinthians 1.7 says, And our hope in you is firm, or for you is firm, rather, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, you also share in our comfort. And that's something, folks, we get to bring to people, the comfort of God. To remind them, hey, there's more to this story. It's not just about this. It's not just about now. There's more to this story. God has, has more for you, and he's going to take care of you. And number four, the God I wish you knew suffers with us. And I have to get this in. We, we have a Savior named Jesus Christ, and the writer to Hebrews says he's touched with our infirmities. He gets it. Jesus um, weeped over a city. He saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. And when he saw them in, in, in Matthew 9, he saw them like sheep without a shepherd, and he wept over the city. 
And many of you remember the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. And he wept over the death of his friend Lazarus. Do you, do you think he wept just because Lazarus was dead? Or do you think he was weeping because the sisters of Lazarus were weeping? I, I think the second. He walks into their story, into that situation. They're complaining, had you been here sooner, he would not have died. And, but he walks in the story and, the, and they're weeping. Can I just remind you that sometimes the greatest thing we can do with somebody is weep with them? Or the greatest thing we can do with somebody, and even though I'm a big talker, as you know, you can tell, right? Sometimes the greatest thing is, I don't have an answer for you. But, it, but in Jesus' name, I, I bring you the peace, of, the peace of God. We call it the ministry of presence. Sometimes it's just being there with someone. And when the appropriate time comes, when the appropriate time comes, to remind them it's not all about this and it's not all about now. You see, the heart of Christianity is not a God who, who goes about trying to explain suffering but it's a God who shares it with us. And that's what I shared with this dear lady. You can't have all the answers right now, to all the questions that you have, but God is with you. In John 9, they asked Jesus, um, the child was born blind, and Rabbi, uh, come on, let us in on this. Who, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Is there something wrong with his parents? There must be sin in their life. And here's what, here's what Jesus says. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. And don't you want Jesus to answer the question? You know, why this family with a special needs child? Why, 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 why this family with a stillbirth? Why, why this couple that can't get pregnant? Why, I mean, don't you want him to answer all the questions? And he doesn't. He just says, I'll be with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And somehow through the works of God, God's glory and power will be displayed. I, I, don't, I don't always get it, but I know that God will do things through situations and circumstances that don't make any sense to us. The Lord hears his people, Psalm 34, 17, and 18, when they call to him, and he rescues them from all their what? Troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Are crushed. He rescues them from all their troubles. So I looked this up. I studied it. I looked at it in the Hebrew dictionary. I tried to really find, what does this mean? It means exactly what I said earlier. He doesn't pluck you out of your troubles, but somehow he keeps the troubles from troubling you, overtaking your life. Why? Because he's present. What does it say? He is close to the brokenhearted. The more your heart is broken, the closer he gets. Isn't that cool? Well, no, no, my, my story's all about my problem. No, no, no. I'm coming over here, and I'm getting away from my story, and I'm saying, God, be close to me. Heal my broken heart. Help me to trust you more. Help me to believe in you more. And as I ended my email to this wonderful gal in our church, I used this number five point. The God I wish you knew will one day put an end to all your pain and suffering. Because evil's on the clock, friends. 
And one day, suffering will die. One day, death will have no more sting. One day, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And the Bible says that God will, Revelation 21, 4, wipe away every tear from their eye. I use this at every funeral that I get the privilege to speak at. I say, God will wipe away every tear from your eye. There will be no more death. And what are we coming? We're coming to celebrate a life that has now ended. And I say to people, there will be no death someday. Why? Because there was no death in the garden before sin. When we stand before God in the presence of, of glory and in, the, in, the, in a place called heaven, everything that God originally intended for the garden of paradise or Eden, the garden of heaven has. This is pretty cool. In the end, God gets his way. In the end, we don't get to control a thing. In the end, it's all up to him. And there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain or taxes. Come on. <laughs> For the old order of things has passed away. What old order? The order since Adam and Eve fell. That's gone. Because in Christ, on the cross, and the blood of Jesus, the atonement for our sins, and our simple belief in him and what he did for us, we get to be partakers of this inheritance of heaven. And one day, one day, I said to this dear lady, all your pain, and I'm sorry for it, and all of your anguish, and I'm sorry for it, will come to an end. And you will stand before God. And no matter what people did to you, no matter the atrocities of molestation and abuse, no matter about a guy who promised you the sun, the stars, and the moon and left you, you're going to stand before a God who says, listen, I redeemed you. I've given you life eternal. That's why he says, repent so you do not perish. That's, listen, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, you have to repent. Well, I'm good enough. No, you're not. And if you were in the garden, you would have eaten the tree too. Come on. Yeah. Don't blame just Adam and Eve. Blame us. And then to stop and say, Lord, I'm going to believe in you as my Lord and Savior. I'm going to allow you to be the Lord of my life. And I'm going to remember, even in the midst of suffering, you are with me. In this world, you will have tribulation. But listen, be of good cheer. Take heart. Don't lose your heart. Don't lose your faith. Because Jesus Christ has overcome the world. And he helps us to not let the troubles trouble us, but to be victorious in him. Thank you for listening to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. To find out more about Lompoc Foursquare Church or to watch us live online, please visit mylfc.com.